Hey, good morning. How's that? Again, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here who just learned how to turn on his mic. And uh, glad to be with you today. Hey, Jersey Sunday, you ready for the Super Bowl today? Do you care? I don't either, but guess what? Iowa State was good in football this year, so I can wear my jersey with pride. And I know you don't care about that either, but I do. And it's pretty exciting. Hey, really glad to see you today. Glad you're here. Glad if you're joining us online and uh, that you can be with us and be a part of us at home. Uh, you know, about 30 years ago, a guy by the name of Donald Whitney uh, wrote a book on spiritual disciplines called uh, Just Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And he started his book. The first line was this. Uh, Discipline without direction is drudgery. Let me say that again. Discipline without direction is drudgery. Uh, imagine for a moment, maybe a young uh, kid named Kevin. Kevin likes to play guitar, and he wanted to learn how to play guitar, so his parents signed him up for guitar lessons. Except after he got into them, it really wasn't the thing he had hoped for. And uh, every day now after school, when he got home, before he could go out and play, he had to sit in the living room and you know play his guitar and. So while he's sitting there strumming home on the range all afternoon, all his buddies are across the street playing football. That's discipline without direction. That's drudgery. <laughs> but now imagine for a moment that an angel appears to Kevin. And uh, he takes Kevin and gives him a vision and takes him in this vision to Carnegie Hall where he sees a guitar virtuoso on stage playing a guitar and just playing an incredible melody. Classical, he never cared about classical music before now, but now all of a sudden he's just enchanted watching this guy play and just amazed at what he sees and what he hears. And as they're standing there, the angel kind of goes, Kev, what do you think? And he just goes, wow. Well, an instant later, the vision is over and they're standing back in Kevin's living room and the angel says to Kevin, Kevin, that guy is you in a handful of years. Now, the next day at practice, do you think Kevin maybe approached practice a little different the next day? Uh, maybe a little more excited about what it was that he knew he was about to become in only a handful of years. I bet his practice wasn't drudgery anymore. His discipline had direction. Well, you know, a lot of times the way we live the Christian life, those of you who've trusted Christ and become a follower of his, uh, we can look at some of the disciplines of the Christian life, the things that we're called to do, and we can just feel like, that's drudgery, you know? I mean, over time, prayer can become drudgery. Reading God's word can just feel like a chore. Uh, meditating on scripture can begin to feel like, man, what's the point? Let alone things like fasting and other things that just seem to have no meaning to me anymore. And it just becomes drudgery. You need some direction with your discipline. You need to know who it is that you're going to become because then that will make your discipline not drudgery, but joy. Do you see? Well, that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at 1 Peter, and I think Peter tells us, he shows us who you are, who you're gonna become, and he calls us, though, to be disciplined. He says to be holy. 
Be holy, that's a big word. That's a big task. And to do that, though, we gotta know who we are, and that's where we're headed today. So uh, we're gonna remind one another of that from God's word, and we're gonna take off. Let me pray. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter one. So let's pray, and we'll dive in. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you that uh, we know that uh, everyone, Jesus, who's trusted you, who's crossed that line of faith, Father, you've predestined us to become like Jesus, that that's who we truly are. That's who we're going to become, perfectly holy. And uh, even now, though, you call us holy. So would you uh, teach us and remind us who we are so that we might live like it? Lord, uh, help me, encourage me, and encourage all of us even as I teach. Teach me even as I teach. Lord, these are your words and your truth. So I pray you bring joy and encouragement to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, you can open up with me to First uh, Peter. And we've been, uh, we've been at First Peter for a few weeks now. This is our fifth week already in the book of First Peter. And today we're going to start and uh, pick it up in verse 13. And verse 13 um, begins like this. It begins, uh, therefore. Now, some of you, if you've been here a while, you know exactly what I'm about to say, which means I got you. Like, I got you, like, like you're paying attention, and I got the hook, and we're reeling it in. When you see therefore in your Bible, ask yourself what? What's it there for? That's what you ask yourself when you read therefore in the Bible. What's it there for? Well, this therefore is a big one. It's a huge one. In fact, uh, it, it's actually a point at which the whole text of First Peter pivots, and if you got your Bible with you today, or you got an app that you take notes on, whatever, even just on your outline, if you notice, we've been printing out the text with some space for you to mark it up uh, that you could pick up on your way inside the door. Uh, just circle that word therefore in your Bible and draw an arrow up. Because the therefore is referring to everything that we've already covered in verses 1 through 12. And in case you're new, you haven't been around, you haven't been here with us for, for all of 1 Peter so far, let me just catch you up quick. In those first 12 verses, what, what Peter does is he speaks about who we are in Christ. He says that we're saved. He talks about our salvation. He says uh, we have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved, we're given a living hope. He also says that we're exiles, that this place is not our forever home, that we're just passing through. And uh, because of that, life is going to be hard when you're not home. But keep your eyes on where you're headed because that is home and that's what's going to motivate you to make it through. And ultimately then, we saw last Sunday, Pastor Dave, that we have an incredible salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? And because of that salvation then, that's why Peter says, therefore, in light of who you are, in light of the salvation you have, which, by the way, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, these things are yours. In light of that, therefore, now he's going to say, go live like it. Now, now, this is an important principle to understand. It's key to the Christian life. That, that, that uh, the pattern is this. God tells you who you are. He gives you an identity. And then he says, go live like it. Religion, on the other hand, would say, live like it, get your act together, and then God will accept you and give you that identity that you long for. Keep that in mind. We're coming back there this morning. And so uh, Peter, though, with this therefore, he, he really changes the trajectory. The trajectory, that's a big word for me today. I don't know why. 
but of the whole book. I mean, therefore, uh, here's what you need to do because of your salvation, because of who you are. Therefore, here's how to live. Let me just keep reading. I'll give you the outline for the whole series. Therefore, here's how to love one another, chapter 2, 1 through 12. Therefore, here's how to respond to authority and honor your rulers, chapter 2, verse 13 to 25. Therefore, here's how to love your husband, chapter 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, here's how to love and serve your wife, chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, here's how you ought to think, chapter 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, here's how to serve one another, chapter 4, 7 through 11. Therefore, here's how to suffer, 4, 12 through 19. Therefore, here's how to care for the church. Therefore, here's how to be a leader. Therefore, here's what to do in your anxious. Therefore, 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 because of who you are, here's how to live. Do you see it? And this is a huge pivot point in this letter. And that's what the therefore is there for. It's reminding us of who we are. Now it's saying, now go live like who you are. It, It reminds me, you know, if you got your jersey on for your team today, Maybe if you've ever participated on a sports team, you know at a certain point there's some kind of a culture about your team. And sometimes your coach will say, that's not who we are. Be who we are. This is who we are. Right? Go live like it. Go play like it. Be that person. So anyway, let's keep reading. Therefore, uh, Peter says, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at uh, this passage, um, I wonder, did you pay attention in English class in high school, in your grammar classes? That's okay, I didn't pay much attention either. And, and, but that's okay, I'm gonna bring you back a little bit today because if you could, here's why it's important, if you could see this in Greek, it, it looks to us like there's three different commands here, right? Like prepare your mind, be sober, set your hope. But the reality is that in this verse, there's only one command and the other two, ready to stretch your English brains, are, are participial phrases that modify the command. And the command is to set your hope. And preparing your mind and being sober are things that modify how you set your hope. So let's back up a little bit and talk about those phrases, preparing your mind. Now, depending on your translation, your translation might say it a little different. The NIV says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Another translation says, with minds ready for action, be sober-minded. That's the Christian Standard Bible. Another translation says, when you've prepared your minds for action by being self-controlled, doesn't even say sober. It says being self-controlled. Well, Josh, which one is it? See, this is, this is why I don't know that I buy this whole Christianity thing. You guys don't even, none of your Bibles even agree. <clears throat> which is, I mean, it's a valid argument if you don't know. But the reality is, the reason there's different translations is it's trying to help us understand the idea because when this was originally written, literally, uh, the King James actually has it most literal where it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your minds. Now, some of you, if I just came in and started saying, gird up your loins, you'd be like, do I do that before or after I smoke it? <laughs> right? Like, like, how do I prepare? I know how to prepare a tenderloin, but what do, what's girding it mean? That's just not language we use today, right? So to understand it, you've got to go back to biblical times where everybody dressed like a Jedi and they wore a robe. And if you were going to prepare yourself for action, you couldn't just take off running. You had to wrap up your robe, bring it between your legs, and tuck it in your belt. Why? like a big diaper, so you could run. And you didn't trip on your skirt. That's what it means to gird up your loins. Get prepared for action. Get ready. Here we go. 
That, that's, that's why there's these different translations of this, preparing your minds for action. In other words, Paul's saying, or Peter, excuse me, I, keep, I probably have said Paul other times because Paul writes so much of the New Testament, so forgive me. If I say Paul, I mean Peter. Prepare your minds for action. Get your head on straight. Get your mind clear. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. I mean, would you agree, like, uh, nobody really makes a good decision when they're drunk? or when they're high, when you're controlled by another substance, like that's, that's not a time to be making major life decisions. Would you agree? In fact, the Bible tells us not to be drunk on wine, that alcohol is okay if it's okay according to your conscience, but we're not to be drunk and controlled by something else other than the spirit. So uh, Peter's saying, be sober-minded. You're like, oh, that's an easy one for me, Josh. Let's just move on. Because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't do any of those things. And okay, yeah, but, but what other things maybe control your mind? You know, uh, does your mind get intoxicated with the idea of wealth or career or relationship or success? Where do you find your hope? Because this is modifying to set our hopes. So get your mind on straight. Where are you, where are you setting your hope? Is it in... Uh, in your retirement, in the future of some sort? Is it uh, masks? Is it politics? Is it, what is it you're setting your hope on? Here's what Peter says. Therefore, because of the salvation you have, because of who you are in Christ, therefore, get your head on straight because we're about to hit the ground with, or, or, or in running. <laughs> and you gotta be thinking straight because of who you are. Here's how you ought to live. And that's where he heads. So uh, he says, therefore, set your hope fully. Now, hope here isn't, uh, we talked about this already, it's not like this wishful thinking, you know, like, oh, I hope my team's gonna win. No, it's, it's a confident assurance. Think back to our, our illustration with Kevin earlier, right? It's, it's the reality of what's coming, of who we're going to become. It's the direction that guides our discipline and keeps it from being drudgery. That's our hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's a living hope. It's going to happen. He is returning. He has saved us, and he will completely save us. It's great news. That's what gets me through this life. So set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. It's coming to you at the revelation of Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to this verse at the end of the message today, but for now, let's keep moving. Uh, when we get into, chapter, into verse 14, excuse me, it says, as obedient children, Peter writes, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, Peter reminds us again who we are, we're God's children. He doesn't totally abandon, continuing to remind us who we are, but he is now giving us action on how to live it out. So he says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Uh, in, in these verses, too, there's only one command and another participial phrase, and then I'll be done with our grammar lesson for today. It's be, be holy. The idea of, of not being conformed to who you were, your former passions, your ignorance when you didn't know any better, modifies you being holy. Friend, uh, you're called to set your hope on what's coming and you're called 
to live like who you are, to be holy. You're to live a holy life as a follower of Jesus. To live a holy life. That's a big call. That's a huge call on your life and on mine. But what does it look like to live a holy life? Better yet, what does it even mean to be holy? Can we just talk real honest for a second? How many, if you're brutally honest, you hear, be holy, you kind of go, that sounds kind of hard, or that sounds a little boring, or that sounds like drudgery. Well, it's because you need some direction. And the reality is that uh, over time, this idea of holiness being something that I start from scratch and I have to uh, uh, crank it up and do my very best to become something I'm not has crept into the idea of holiness. Friends, that's religion. Religion says you start from square one and you have to work your way to holiness, that you've got to do it all. You've got to get it together. But the problem is that's not what the Bible says. So let's look at what a biblical definition is of holiness. It's not you being holier than thou or a holy roller or all these other connotations we have of somebody who's, who's holy, right, in the negative sense of the word. Let's see what the Bible actually says. So uh, when, when Paul says to be holy, you shall, or Peter, excuse me, I did it already, you shall be holy for I'm holy, he, Peter's quoting from Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45 says, uh, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is one of the times in uh, Leviticus of a couple times where God applies the idea of being holy to his people. And it's carried over into the New Testament and, and for us as his people that we're called to be holy. So what does it mean? Well, I, I like this definition of holy of holiness, holy people and holy things, just very simply, a simple definition for you, holy people and holy things belong to God. They belong to God. And underlying that is this idea that they're set apart. They're set apart. So you might think of holiness as being holy as, you might also just think different. Holy means you belong to God, you're set apart, You're different. That's the biblical idea of holiness. I mean, if you were a person in the biblical sense of the word who is holy, that means you're holy to the Lord, you're you're wholly devoted to him as, as his people. We're his holy assembly. It means we're his. We're set apart for him. Or, or even items, you know, in the Bible or in the Old Testament especially, a, a holy place, holy ground, uh, a holy day. If something or someone was, was called holy, it means it belongs to God and it's set apart for him. It's to be different. Now, we're going to take some time just to look at this this morning because when we say we're to live a holy life, we've got to understand what that means, And we can't let it be infiltrated with maybe some of our defaults back to this religious idea that I've got to just crank it up and do it all to be made right with God. That's been done for you and for me in Jesus Christ. See, here's what this means. If if you've become a Christian, if you've stepped across the line of faith, and you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've been, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you've been born again 
You've become part of his family. You've been adopted in, as it says in Ephesians. Guess what that means about you? You, your life has been set apart, and you are holy. That's who you are. That's your primary identity as a child of God, someone who is holy, who's set apart for him. And and here's what this means then. You need to live like it. Do you see the difference? This is so key in understanding this principle. Religion says that you start from scratch and you earn your holiness. You just, you work so hard to be holy and get it right so that hopefully God will accept you on the last day. The gospel says no. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've been made new. You've been given a new identity. It has nothing to do with your goodness, everything to do with Jesus' goodness. You are his child. You are set apart. Your life is holy. You are a saint. Now you need to live that out. And and scripture is teaching us what it looks like to live that out. Because that's your primary identity, not earning God's favor, but living from it. Do you see? That's the truth of the gospel. And the call that God puts on your life and on my life, if if you've trusted Jesus, is to live like who you've already become. But the reality is, we often don't live and act like somebody who belongs to God. We often don't live and act like somebody who's been set apart as somebody who's to be different. We fail at it. I fail at it. How about you? Yet this is the definition of of who we are. Not to become something we're not, working it from scratch, but to live out who we actually truly are. Uh, Another uh, verse from Leviticus where God says this, he says in uh, Chapter 20, verse 26, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you, so you separate from the peoples, that you should be mine. Do you see it? Separate, set apart, and God's. Or uh, how about uh, Exodus chapter 19, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A holy nation, one that's set apart, that's different of, of all the people on the earth. We're to be different as his people. But now, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. If you uh, have your Bible open to 1 Peter, you're just going to turn back a little ways. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and just look at this with me in verse uh, 14. It'll be on the screen as well. Verse 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Is that a little bit of a terrifying verse to you? Strive, and that seems to almost contradict everything I just told you. Strive for the holiness that you need, without which you will never see the Lord. Well, again, if our definition of holiness is I start from scratch and I've got to get it all together and earn my way there, which is what religion says, and what maybe some of you even uh, have uh, been taught or has been implied to you over time, uh, depending on how you grew up, if, if that's the case, then guess what this verse is saying? You will never see God. 
Because unless you have his holiness, unless you are set apart, unless you are his, you will never see him unless you get it all right. But if we back up to the definition of the gospel and what God's word actually says about holiness, that uh, you are called to live like that. You are called to live with holiness, to live like Jesus Christ, to, to renounce sin, to turn from it. But you already are holy, and now you're simply living out that identity. Now you realize that, that when I'm born again, when I trust Jesus, I'm made new, I've been set apart, I've been given holiness. It's a gift that's given to me that I get the opportunity to live out. That holiness with which I need to see God isn't something I can ever earn, it's something given to me and that I get the privilege of becoming more and more like Jesus. Do you see the difference? Let's just keep banging this drum for a little bit. You know, I, I mentioned earlier my confusion there, uh, my tongue getting twisted between Peter and Paul. That's because Paul wrote so many letters in the New Testament. In fact, uh, maybe you'd call them, uh, you've heard of them referred to as epistles. That's kind of the old school word for the letters that Paul wrote. But when Paul writes a letter, do you know pretty much uh, every church he writes to, guess who he's writing to? Churches with big issues big issues. So like he writes to the church in Colossae, right? And they're messing up their worship and they're even their understanding of who Jesus is and what it means uh, in terms of the gospel. And so he writes to correct that. When he writes to the church in Corinth, so first and second Corinthians, he had to write him a few letters. He, he writes to them. I mean, they are Christians gone wild. They're just, they're nuts. They're getting drunk at communion. They're having potlucks and not sharing it with anyone else. There's a guy in their church who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, but everybody seems to accept it and say, oh, that's okay. We're just going to be tolerant and we love you and it's all right. But here's the crazy thing. So when Paul writes to them, guess how he addresses them? He says to the what in Corinth, do you know? The saints. To the saints in Corinth. Do you know what saint means? So you don't become a saint by a bunch of people voting in a room after you die. You become a saint by trusting Jesus. Saint means that you are holy. That's what that word means. It's literally, it literally means holy one. That's a saint. Paul calls maybe the most messed up church in history, the, the Corinthian church, he calls all those people saints. What? That's because holiness is a gift. But then, what does he do? He beats them up and he says, you gotta start living like it. And he brings the hammer down on them because the, the way they're living is not who they are. They're holy and you need to live like it. But do you see the difference? Religion would bring the hammer down and say, you're not living like it. It's like trying to clean your fish before they're caught. You can't do it. And you got to live like it. You got to get it figured out so that you could be holy. Paul says, no, in Jesus Christ, man, you're a saint, you're holy, but you have to live it out. You got to honor him. Remember who you are, who you're going to become. Then your life isn't drudgery, it's joy. Do you see? And you and I, friends, were called to live a holy life. One last one, this idea of holiness. Uh, when God created everything, Another issue of, of, of something being holy or set apart that sometimes, uh, just to, to get this concept down, might be the Sabbath. You know what the Sabbath is? It's, it's a day where God rested. So when God created everything, he created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he ceased from his creative work, and he 
set that day apart as holy, right? Now, uh, over time, what happened is religious leaders, and just like you and I, uh, they desired to obey God's command to keep the Sabbath as a holy day. So what they did is they started to add different things in and to make sure we didn't violate that and violate the holiness of the Sabbath. And so over time, all these rules began to be added to the idea of a Sabbath day to the point where when you get to Jesus' day, the Pharisees had really added on rules like they didn't want to break this. Again, their motivation was right. But um, you can only walk so far, you know, so you don't work because God said you're to cease from your work on this day. So you can't, can't walk too far, you can't cook, you can't, uh, all these different rules. And one of them uh, being, you know, in terms of even uh, medical things and medicine. And so what does Jesus do when he shows up? What's he begin doing on the Sabbath? He begins healing people. And he begins kind of just poking at the religious Pharisees. And what's curious is if you look at the people Jesus healed on the Sabbath, all of them uh, it could have waited till the next day. Like it wasn't this big life-threatening thing that he healed him from. Why? Because he wanted to poke at him and say, you got this whole idea wrong. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath became like this just drudgery day. Some of you, maybe you grew up that, that way to where Sunday became like this day of, it's just a boring, boring, boring day. Like, you just can't have any fun on Sunday. You know, you have six days that are yours, and then that seventh day, that's when you owe God. <laughs> that's how it became, has become for many people. But let's look at God's original intent. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, very beginning of your Bible. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Here's where this comes from. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So what did God do? He, he didn't make that day um, a cursed day that was just boring and a bummer. He blessed that seventh day and he made it what? What's the word? Holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now we tend to read that legalistic definition of holiness back into things. Just, it tends to be our default in our sin. Mine as well. So let's swap that out with what we've seen to be the biblical definition of holiness, that it's belonging to God and it's set apart and different. Let's read it again. The seventh day God finished his work and all he had done, verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it different. He set it apart because that was the day he rested from all the work that he had done. Or how about uh, Exodus chapter 20 because this becomes one of the 10 commandments to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it what? Holy, right? Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. In other words, that seventh day was just like vacation day in the middle of every week, at the end of every week, <laughs> For in six days the Lord made heaven, heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Again, let's read back in that true definition. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it set apart, to keep it different. Uh, don't do any work on that day. Rest. 
Get recreated. Let God work his grace in you. I mean, this was an incredible command for that day during a, a culture where they did, did physical labor day after day after day after day, and God told them, no, just rest for a day. And he promises if they rest for that day, in those six days, he's gonna provide for them so much that, that it's gonna more than make up for that one day that they took off. And they just got to take a break. That's what the Sabbath is for. It's a day to be set apart. Do you see? So holiness means to belong to God and to be set apart, to be different. It applies to the Sabbath day. It applies to you and I, that we're to be set apart and to be different. And if we understand it in a legalistic way, we start adding on things that we got to do to earn God's favor. And the problem with legalism is it's always based on the Bible, but it's never in the Bible. It says, do this so that you could be loved. Do this so that you could earn God's favor. But the Bible says, no, you are holy. And you, you are called to live a holy life. Don't, don't miss this. And there's gonna be effort in it. It's hard. But it's who you are. You're not earning God's favor with it. So, as we've already said, you must know who you are. You must if you're gonna live a holy life. You gotta know who you are, friend, if you're a follower of Jesus. Now hear me, we gotta stop for a minute because if you're not a follower of Jesus, then guess what? Because we're gonna be, I, I mentioned earlier, we talked about spiritual disciplines or habits and the spiritual life of a follower of Jesus. Well, that does become drudgery if you don't have a spiritual life. Like if there's nothing out there that you're going to become that God says you are, then, then you're in that legalistic definition of holiness where you're just trying to do it all on your own and it will be drudgery. You need to trust Jesus Christ. You need that spiritual life. You need to be made new. And it's a simple act of faith where you just turn to him by faith and say, Jesus, take me as messed up as I am. I trust you. And he does it. But you gotta know who you are. So assuming, like Peter is, that you're set apart, you're a saint, you're different, Peter's now calling you to live like it. He says, if you call on him as father, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, exile, this isn't home. And uh, notice he, he talks about calling on God as father. Now, uh, for many people, probably many in this room, probably many of you who are watching online, you hear that, you hear father, and you check out. Because you go, you know what? I had one of those one time. I'm not going there. And your understanding now of God as father becomes tainted because someone wasn't a good representative of him in your life. Dads get the great privilege of sharing God's name father but here's the deal if if that's you and I, I think that's maybe one of satan's greatest strategies in tearing down the church is eroding uh men from being good dads and good fathers in our culture because then it erodes the ability for people to grow up and realize they have a heavenly father who loves them and cares for them 
But if that's you, you need to know, you do, you have a good dad who loves you so much, more than you ever dreamed to be loved. And let me encourage you, don't base your estimation of your heavenly father on the example of your earthly dad if that's you. Do the reverse. You have a good and perfect heavenly father. Base your estimation of your earthly dad on him, right? And my prayer for you is that you'd come to know that and trust Jesus and know that to be true and that he would heal those wounds in your life. You're loved. It says, if you call on him as father, he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Fear here isn't the idea of being afraid of him like he's a mean and cruel dad. It's fear in the sense of reverence. Like I respect him. I love him. I want to please him. In fact, I want to be like him, right? That's the idea of fear here. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. See, in a sense, Peter even comes back to the fact like if, if you did have an earthly dad, if you do, who wasn't a great example of your heavenly father who's perfect and loves you and is good and a great dad, he's saying, listen, you were ransomed from the futile ways of your earthly dad, the one who messed it up. You've been ransomed. You've been bought back by your earthly, by your, excuse me, by your heavenly father. And he loves you and you're his. And this idea of, of being ransomed or some translations might say redeemed is really, it's a couple different things. It's, it's Exodus language where God's people are ransomed and redeemed as his people, but it's also a contemporary thing in Peter's day of like slaves could ransom them, pay their ransom to buy their freedom. And, and so they could gain their freedom. So uh, in terms of like the contemporary thing for Peter, you, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold where you just, you know, you, you forked over the money and you bought your freedom. No, you were ransomed with imperishable things, the precious blood of Christ. And here's the Exodus language, like that of a, a, a lamb without blemish or spot at the Passover. And then he goes on to tell us more about who Jesus is because it's all about Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's eternal, he's God, but he was made manifest. He put on flesh, he revealed himself in the last times for the sake of you, for you and for me. We saw that last Sunday as well with Pastor Dave, right? It's for you, it's personal. He loves you. This is for you who, through him, you're believers in God, who, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope is in God. So that your discipline and your life isn't drudgery, but it's joy because you have direction. To live a holy life, friends, you gotta know who you are and you gotta keep reminding yourself of it. And there's a handful of verses just on the side in your text or in your notes, you know, that's there every week. And it's just there for you to go back during the week and maybe review. Sometimes I'll hit on them, sometimes I don't. But, but you're to live a holy life. You gotta, if you're going to do it, you got to know who you are and you got to keep reminding yourself of it because if you're like me, you forget. <laughs> and you don't always live like who you are. But when you keep that in mind and you fill your mind with God's word and you let the spirit work in you, now suddenly you begin to live that out. Not starting from scratch, but starting from a place of who you truly are, and now you get to live like it. That brings us back to the first verse of our passage this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. 
So get your head on straight. Know who you are. Be sober-minded and set your hope on the grace that will be revealed to you, brought to you, to you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Know who you are and who you're becoming and then live like it. Now, now, how you do that, how you keep reminding yourself is this idea, you've heard me say it already, of spiritual discipline. You're like, oh, that sounds like a dreadful word. How about this then, spiritual habits. Let's just say habits, because it's the same thing. It's just getting in the habit of reminding yourself who you are. Of, and then the Holy Spirit uses that to grow you and, and really produce fruit in your life, reflecting who you truly are. So here's some examples of some spiritual habits, uh, reading and meditating on and memorizing God's word. Prayer, talking to God. You hear from him in his word, you talk to him by responding to him. Uh, worship, when we sing, when we worship him by, uh, worship is much more than just singing, right? But singing is what often comes to mind. And by the way, you are commanded to sing as a follower of Jesus. We're commanded to be singing people. Even if you're not a good singer, that's why we have the music so loud, right? So that you can sing. Sing it out, man. But to honor and exalt him, that's worship, to express his worth in your life. Evangelism, to tell other people about what Jesus is doing, to invite them to follow Jesus with you, like our mission statement, to invite them to something like Alpha this Wednesday. Serving, loving others, stewardship, taking care of God's stuff. All of these are spiritual habits. They're muscles you exercise because you're part of the team. This is who you are. This is what we do. Fasting, silence, solitude. Well, as, as we close this morning, uh, I, I want you to leave with some tools in your hand to help you with this. Because I want you to live a holy life. I want you to know who you are. I want you to keep reminding yourself of it. So a few things. As you walk out this morning, um, one, I've got a list of, of, of identity statements, who you are in Jesus Christ. If, if you're watching online, you can go to wawaseebible.com slash habits, and all of these are there for you to download. And, and you can uh, just take this with you. Put it up somewhere where you can read them. Re stick it in your Bible. Remind yourself of who you are. The other thing you could do is you could memorize scripture. So I, I made some scripture memory cards for you, all from 1 Peter, just some key verses throughout the book we're studying. You're going to have to cut them. I didn't go that far. But you can take this with you, take it home, use them like flashcards. You're like, 10? Really, Josh? I'm not going to memorize 10. Then pick one. The shortest one, 1 Peter 5.7, I'll already tell you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7, there you go. But, but memorize it. Work on that this month. Pick up a habit. The other thing, I mentioned singing, right? Do you know, uh, for a worship team, every week for like the last four or five years, we post the playlist of the songs that we sing on Spotify. We've got a Spotify account. Uh, uh, there's a link to that at that wawaseebible.com slash habits too. And you can go and you can, every week, you can go back and look at songs we've sung. And you could just spend time on your own worshiping and singing to the Lord. Turn it up in your car. Nobody's going to hear you sing there. But one last thing I, I want to do with you before you go. Um, 
Maybe the biggest two of these are, are to read God's word and to spend time in prayer. But I'm curious how many of us oftentimes when it comes to reading God's word, we kind of get going, and I've resembled this at different times in my life as well. And you're going, you're like, oh, I'm getting nothing out of this today or this week or this month. How do you do that? I want to practice that with you briefly here before we go. And, and some of you, we were going to do this actually at Send last week before it got canceled. Um, but I'm going to do it with you this morning. And it's not going to take long, so don't worry. Then we're out of here. But I want to give you a tool that you can take. And, and so that it's memorable for you, I want to give you an image. And some of you maybe have been with me doing this before, so this will be a review for you. But you might think of it like going on a drive. I want you to picture for a moment, and you can just kind of relax, you can lay your Bible down, you can just sit and listen. Uh, same for you at home. Pick out your dream car. Do you got it in mind? What color is it? Does it have big wheels or is it a sports car? Are you a convertible guy or are you a truck person? What, what is it for you? SUV? You got it? And now picture just an incredibly gorgeous day in an area not like the flatlands of northern Indiana, but hilly and beautiful and maybe even mountainous. And it is the perfect day. And you get to head out with the windows down, maybe the top down, and you get to enjoy just, you have nothing to do. You just get to go for a drive in this car. No cops on the road, you can... Go for it. What do you need to do? That's what I want to walk you through. Well, the first thing you ought to do, if you're going to really enjoy the day, you ought to fill your tank. Make sure you got some gas. Because that would be the ultimate bummer, right? You get out on the road in your dream car and you run out of gas. That'd be a downer. So how do we do that when it comes to, we're going to apply that analogy to reading God's word. Well, I'm just going to take a moment and ask, we saw last Sunday, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus to us, right? And reveals his word to us. In fact, we can't know the things of God, the Bible says, apart from the Spirit of God teaching us. So we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and to reveal himself to us and to meet us where we're at. Fill your tank. So you've got about 10 seconds right now. Let me just invite you. Close your eyes. Bow your head, I'll do the same. Same for you if you're at home. And just pray, ask, Holy Spirit, would you teach me from your word right now? Show yourself to me. Meet me where I am. Fill me. Amen. Well, after you've uh, determined your tank's full, you've spent a little time in prayer, and it doesn't have to be long, just ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. You need to pick a road, right? What road are you gonna drive on today? Uh, I would encourage you, uh, be deliberate a little bit about that, don't just be random, you know, you just flop open your Bible, and I'm gonna read this today. And Judas hung himself. <laughs> okay, let's find a different one. 
go and do likewise. That's not helpful. Would you agree? Like, so, so you need to pick out something deliberately. Uh, so today, we're going to go to Psalm 23. That's going to be our road. It's a familiar road. It's one maybe you've driven down before, one maybe you've even memorized. So you can either turn in your Bible with me, or you can just uh, sit and listen. But we've picked our road. We've filled our tank. We've picked our road, and now we're going to head out on our drive. But here's the deal. As we go, after we've picked our road, uh, we're going to slow down. That's our third step, to slow down. We're going to slow down as we read. And we're not going to just go for distance today. We're going for depth. We're going to enjoy it, right? There's nothing else to do. So just listen as we read or read along with me. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Just think about that. Take it in. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And we go on. But let's say we're reading and we get to verse three and we read, he restores my soul. We've slowed down, and uh, you ever go on, um, you don't always see them around here, other than a really random one in North Webster, where you can pull off the road at like kind of a scenic viewpoint, and check something out, remember that little well over there? I always think that's really funny, the point of interest. Uh, but maybe you're on this mountain pass, and, and there's just this beautiful spot where you can pull over on the side of the road, and so you do. And you get out of the car and you take it in. Well. It's just something that just catches you. You know, uh, he restores my soul. Man, that, I need restoration today, this week, this month, this year. And so you, you pull off, you get out of the car, you just sit for a while, and maybe you pull out your phone and you do like the cool kids, you take a selfie of yourself in light of what's right there. With God's word as the backdrop, you see who you are, and you go, because God's word is a mirror, right? Uh, you see, you know what? I need my soul to be restored. Some things have happened this last year, this last month. There's things that have been done to me. There's things I've done. There's, I need restoration. And so after you take that and you realize that's you, well, then you text that selfie back home to your dad and you go back to him in prayer. And you just stop. And you might stop for a few moments, you might stop for an hour, I don't know, but you just, Lord, I need you to restore me. You know what this has been like for me. You know the condition of my heart. You know the things I'm drawn to. You know the ways I've been hurt. You know the ways I've been, but you, you know all of it. Jesus, I need you to restore me. You, you promise to restore me, be my shepherd, be my shepherd, so that I have no need, and you just, you go back and, and you pray through what you've just read. You send it home. And after you're there for a while, maybe you say, you know what, that's, that's good for today. 
Maybe you get back in the car, you drive a little further, you find another place to pull off. And... But here's the idea. You're reading for depth, not distance, and you're responding to God in prayer as you go. You're, you're letting him start the conversation. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what to pray about. Let him start the conversation. And uh, let me give you one last piece of advice, and then I'd encourage you to take some time this week and take a drive through the word. But if you're not sure where to start, you know, every, every month starts, or every month has either, you know, 28 to 31 days. So the book of Proverbs happens to be 31 Proverbs, or 31 chapters. Today's the seventh, go to Proverbs seven. Again, if you're not sure where to start, go to, use the Psalms, go to Psalm seven. Or just start going through First Peter, since that's what we're all studying together right now too. But friend, to live a holy life, you, you gotta know who you are. You gotta keep reminding yourself of it. You are holy if you're a follower of Jesus. Now go live like it. Let me pray. And we're just going to dismiss you from here right now. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thank you that we don't have to earn your favor or uh, start from scratch to become holy. Jesus, you did the work for us and you gift it to us because we could never do it on our own. You set us apart. You make us new. Friend, if that's you, if you've never trusted Jesus, it's so simple. Just ask him to save you, and he will. Put your trust in him. And then, Jesus, you uh, call us to live out who you've made us to be. It is hard. It is hard work at times. It takes effort. But, Jesus, you promise to be with us the whole of every moment and to guide us by your word, to restore us into who you are calling us and promise us to become. Father, thanks for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As you head out this week, I encourage you, grab uh, some of these on your way out. Go to wallacebible.com slash habits. Maybe we'll just keep adding more stuff there for you. And uh, know this, you are loved. That's who you are. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.